in order to win in our market per se is you need to have your systems in place and kind of do the upfront work where um, you know we had a very powerful lease um, you know once again networking with bigger pocket members local investors uh, you know we were able to get a powerful lease so we could have ourselves set up from the start what's going on guys this is the passive wealth strategy show thank you for tuning in today our guest is sean mcintyre today we're talking about house hacking we're talking about a couple of duplex uh, multifamily house hacks that Sean did. And we get really uh, into the details of what he did. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry. We're going to explain what a house hack is. And, and in the case of uh, what Sean did and his strategy, and then what he's doing now with a, a bit of a live-in flip. And this is a great strategy for especially newer real estate investors to get started with some, some low-cost loans, low-cost debt, and really get into multifamily real estate investing. And there is an important, uh, I don't know, caveat, an important fact is that Sean did this with a, a pretty substantial family. Now he's got four kids and two dogs, and you know he built the kids up over time as he did these, but still that is a, a testament to the fact that it can be done. Even if you've got a family, you, you can make it happen. If you're committed to go do it, these deals are out there to be done. So once again, today we're talking with Sean McAteer, a gentleman from Northern New Jersey. He's a realtor from Northern New Jersey. If you need uh, realtor services in Northern New Jersey, he can help you with that. And he's got investing experience. So, and, and he is an investor, which is always great uh, to have in your pocket an investor friendly agent who knows how investing works is, is so important. So you want that reach out to sean he gives his contact information uh within the show and today you're going to learn about house hacking duplexes in northern new jersey and how it works if you do enjoy the show take a quick second go to your favorite podcast app look up the passive wealth strategy show give us a subscribe that way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every monday tuesday and thursday and that's really important because you're going to keep on top of the most up-to-date information you're going to get this all in your ear and we're going to help you escape wall street and invest in main street again if you do enjoy the show and your apple podcast user please take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcast app, leave us a rating and review, five stars if you don't mind. It's so much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That uh, helps us grow within the Apple Podcast ranking and just uh, it helps me feel good. I see what you guys have to say and I appreciate it so, so much. And uh, it means a lot to me. It doesn't take you much time, 30 seconds at, the, at most, less than that. So that would be much appreciated. I am your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I've not done a house hack. I'm not opposed to it. I think it's a, once again, I think it's a great strategy uh, for folks with to get into residential real estate, start getting some of that cash flow coming in. And uh, today you're going to get a couple of great case studies from a guy who has done it, which is, I think, the most important way and the best way to learn. So without any further ado, here we go with Sean McAteer. Sean, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Hey, it's been great talking with you. We've, uh, you know, commiserated here a little bit about uh, lives growing up, I suppose. And and today we're going to dive into a topic that we actually, to my recollection, have not addressed on the show before, house hacking. But for our listeners out there who are not familiar with you and your background and what you do, can you give us an introduction to Sean McIntyre, please? 
Absolutely. Yes. So uh, we are famously known for house hacking with four kids and two dogs. Kind of a joke there. Not too famous yet. But uh, yeah, you know, that's what our story was. We uh, bought a multifamily uh, geez, back in 2015. And, uh, you know, we had one kid, had another, had another, another, and moved into another house hack, kept renovating, having a great time and uh, led ourselves to some financial freedom. Awesome. Awesome. So for our listeners out there, you know, I don't want to assume too much about what folks know about you know, the meaning of the term house hacking. So can you tell us about how it applies to you and your strategy and like what it really means in a, in a nuts and bolts sense of, okay, what are you doing? How are you making money here? Yeah, great. Um, so really, I guess the term of house hacking is just when you can live in a property and generate some income while you're living there. So uh, for ourselves, we are doing it in multifamily properties in Northern New Jersey, where we would renovate one of the units, rent it out while we were living in the other unit, then uh, renovate that unit, move out of the property entirely and move on to the next one. Awesome. So how many of those have you done? We did two house hacks, uh, both duplexes, both were major renovations that um, really worked out well for us, but uh, they're a long, little longer than you know your regular fix and flip type project. But um, ultimately, they're in a great position right now where, um, yeah, they're doing a great job paying our uh, current property's mortgage. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's great. I mean, every every bit of cash flow coming in helps. And if you can get it at a at a, a an excellent price and you know add value that's that's so much the better can you tell us about uh the, like the specifics of the deals and like how you bought them how much value you added and and get into the uh, nuts and bolts of what you did yeah absolutely so uh, our very first uh, house hack was a duplex in a town called summit that's in union county it was about 35 minutes uh, west of new york city uh, the property itself was, oh man, it was, it was in bad shape. It was from basement to first floor, second floor, and attic space was all an illegal unit. So it was an illegal quad. Um, you know, you can't have a working kitchen in a basement or an attic space. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that was, that was number one. Um, but what I always like to tell that story because uh, what made it so special is we were able to kind of run the numbers and figure out that if we had an illegal quad, we'd have the risk of it, you know, obviously not being conforming with the town codes. But if we converted it to a duplex, we we're getting more rent than had we kept it as a legal quad. So now we have a duplex with only two tenants to worry about rather than a quad with four separate tenants that's completely legal. So it's it pretty cool. So if it was, you know, improperly uh, specified or improperly put together right against the code. Uh, you know, I would assume that maybe the seller was trying to sell it as a quad and, and you purchase it at a duplex. I mean, how, how did that work out in terms of, you know, getting it for an appropriate price? Whereas, you know, you did, you had a seller maybe saying, at least in today's market, you have a seller saying, this is a quad, you got to buy it at a quad price. And you're saying, well, in reality, it's a duplex because it can't be a quad. So how did you kind of put those pieces together in terms of getting it for like a reasonable deal? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think just with how New Jersey can be with its laws and everything, uh, they already dismantled it per se, where they took out the stoves because they knew that would never pass inspection or <laughs> certificate of occupancy from the town. So it was like, 
you, you'd walk up and there'd be a fridge with this like open space and then a countertop. And then, you know, like it was just wacky. Um, so we had a bunch of refrigerators, a bunch of stoves left over from this deal. But um, I think they did it as a way of like, hey, you can do it like this if you're really smart and put put a quad back in there. But we're like, wait a second. I don't think you understand if we do this instead we're smarter and we're way less hassle because we're dealing with luxury tenants instead of, you know, small little unit for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially, uh, yeah, not conforming with code, which is a, a big problem. So how about, um, like adding the value and, and the impact on your life, really? I mean, you're, you're living in one of the units and going through a renovation at the same time. And then you're, kind of bouncing around, which is, which is an inconvenience. I mean, how do you, how did you, in a, you know, in a nuts and bolts, like making it happen sense, how did you make that happen? Work with your contractors, you know, kind of deal with having people in there working on the property all the time. Like, tell us about that. Great. So, um, you know, at the time we have, we have our family and everything. So we were in a great town. Uh, I like to emphasize that because we didn't really have necessarily a rush to get out of the property. Uh, you know, if our kids had to go to school there, we're like, oh, this is fine. We, we were more than happy for that. So there wasn't necessarily that time constraint. We were also newer at the time. We still didn't have our mind around everything. So we were under the idea that we had to be there for two years, uh, which we later found out. Oh my gosh, we did not have to be there for two years. So uh, once we get to the second deal, yeah, we were kind of lightning speed on that one. But we ended up being at the property for three years. First unit I renovated myself primarily. Uh, you know, I'd hire subs for like plumbing, electric, the stuff that, uh, you know, I'm not capable of doing, but a lot of it I wanted to learn, uh, like sheetrocking. Um, I have a flooring background, so I knew how to put floors in and then just kind of reconfiguring things. Uh, and it really, I did that strategically because I want, I, for first things first, every time I got a quote, I was just like, okay, I got to do this. I mean, our first cabinet quote, I almost, oh man, dude, it was bad. We got 30K. I was like, no way. What are we getting ourselves into? Oh my goodness. Fortunately, uh, you know, we kept investigating. We did not accept that quote and uh, got it down to about 3,500 and I installed it myself one weekend. So <laughs> we're going to need more information on that, but please continue. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. So, uh, you know, getting in this, in this unit done, you know, it was probably about eight months to a year. Uh, we were in there renovating uh, before we got tenants in there. And um, ultimately, when it was finished, it ended up being a four-bedroom, two-bath. I, I I love the message of house hacking because, uh, you know, we did have family, still have family. But uh, for me, it was just a matter of walking up the steps to go to work. You know, um, obviously, I had my day job. I'd come home. But I didn't have to go to some long distance, you know, fix and flip in a county over or a property somewhere else. It was literally, we were on site. So I'd be upstairs every night, kind of renovating, uh, getting things ready, making sure we're progressing forward with everything. So it, it was, uh, it's always fun in that capacity because uh, I like to say the story that my commute home was walking down the steps to see my family. <laughs> nice. I like that. So on the, uh, going from thirty thirty thousand $30,000 to $3,500 for materials, plus, you know, your labor to install, what did you do there? I mean, there, I would assume there's there's some difference in materials, right? You're going probably from a really high end material to a really low end. I don't know. Maybe you were getting screwed by that contractor. Who knows? What did you do? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, it's a well known company that um, you know they're nationwide, and, and they came in. We're like, okay, well, you know, they're all over the place. Let's have them come in. 
I don't know what type of cabinets they were offering. I don't know if they're gold plated or if they're like <laughs> workers. I have no idea, but I mean, it, it was just like every time we went to a new place, it went down like 10,000, went down 10,000. And finally I went to Ikea and I was like, oh my goodness, I could, I could put them together myself. This is great. Sure enough, I, I reached out to, you know, one of my good real estate buddies and he's like, Sean, you're making the, the most silliest mistake. Just buy from my guy, solid wood, already assembled cabinets, $3,500. Put them up in a weekend. It's it's all about knowledge and who you know, I guess, at the end of the day and keeping the relationships. And fortunately, uh, you know, I I keep tight relationships with my real estate buddies and uh, for that reason, but it worked out well in the end. Nice. I'm working on redoing my kitchen right now and and planning to do it on my own. Just again, for very similar reasons to to get that hands-on experience and, and I'm I, I could use a connection like that for for cabinets, uh, especially in today's market where lumber is <laughs> is so expensive. So you did the first one and then uh, moved on to the second one. But I, I'd also like to really ask about you know, living next to your tenant because the part of the reason that uh, you know I'm in syndication, I syndicate properties, is is you know so we can have property management and I don't have to deal with tenants because. I don't, I don't want anything to deal with tenants, right? We hire somebody to do that. But in your experience, you know, what was that like, particularly in a, a very tenant friendly state like New Jersey? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so really in order to win in our market per se is you need to have your systems in place and kind of do the upfront work where, um, you know, we had a very powerful lease, um, you know, once again, networking with bigger pocket members, local investors, uh, you know, we were able to get a powerful lease so we could have ourselves set up from the start. And then really it was just learning how to screen and diving deep in that process. You know, being a real estate agent stuff, I had some experience with that. And, um, you know, I had access to people that could help me. So, you know, as it is a very tenant friendly state, at the end of the day, our unit was going to appeal to a higher end uh, tenant. So, you know, we weren't really expecting someone like a doctor or something to default on the lease and, you know, be a troublesome person. So I think our play overall was a little bit slower to get the tenant in there, but ultimately now we're in a spot where it's systematized in a way where I am self-managing these properties. But I mean, I'm hearing from people very rarely, you know, maybe a couple times a year. And uh, most of the conversation is, Hey, are you renewing or, or not? Let me know. So it, it, I think a lot of it has to do with your systems and where you are to get there. So your rental COVID experience uh, or landlord COVID experience rather up there has been uh, positive. Yes, uh, for myself. Um, and, and really, I think all around, uh, you know, you hear some horror stories, but I don't think it's as bad, you know, maybe as what you'll hear on the news or something like that. I don't know many people personally that are getting hit too hard with it. I know there's things out there. But um, for myself, it's been fine. You know, we haven't really had any issues. A little little couple scares. I, I know one of our tenants did get a pay decrease, but it all worked out well. And uh, they're actually at the end of the release at that time anyway. So they're planning on moving out. But all in all, worked out fine for us. Nice. So starting with that, you know, you did the first one. We're moving on to the second one. But, you know, one of the quote issues that I could expect there is just access to capital, right? You've got, you've got this one mortgage, you've got, now you have a tenant in, so that's bringing you some level of income, but okay, you need, 
you need cash, you need to be the ability to get a loan to get the second one. How did you, you know, work through that problem and make that happen? A great question. So uh, yes, uh, you know when we purchased this property, we part purchased it for four ninety five, uh, four ninety five thousand. Uh, I mean, it was distressed, and um, we end up when we're all finished and done with this, the property appraised for over eight hundred thousand. So I mean, it, it we had the equity there, so that was a huge uh, leverage tool uh, for acquiring the next property. So uh, with that being said. We acquired this one with a 10% down conventional mortgage, property number one, that is. With that, we had some PMI. The cool thing about how uh, using the conventional loan for the multifamily is once we got the appraisal, the PMI wiped away. So essentially, we replaced PMI with a home and equity line of credit. So it was, uh, it was like nothing ever happened, and we got $80,000 in our pocket. Nice, nice. So you got the 80K in your pocket, and you were still able to qualify for a loan for the second one? Yes. So we were able to qualify for a loan and we were actually shopping around a lot and we were going to do the same strategy and implement it. But, you know, we were having trouble. Uh, It was just being a competitive market. So I I approached some private funders out there, my parents. (laughs) And and I said, hey, uh, you know, this is my track record. This is what we did. Uh, Would you be open to lending us some money to purchase our next one so we can buy it cash and, you know, have a smooth transaction? So our next deal, we did end up buying uh, with liquid cash. Okay. So did you pay them, you know, interest or return? And did they give you a you know, friends and family discount? What, what did you do there? What was your cost of that capital? Very, very good question. Very, very good question. Uh, you know, we got, we were able to work out some good deals there. I think we say the friends and family discount is, is nice. <laughs> we're still in the process of paying them back fully. We got the bulk of the loan paid back to them uh, for our second property. And uh, yes, once we pay back, we will definitely have a little uh, bonus fund on there. Nice, nice. Okay. But no, nothing comparable to uh, you know what banks are charging, even as low as they are right now. I think it will be still very favorable for us. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, yeah. can, we can leverage the children in many ways, I guess. <laughs> you want to pay for our college or maybe we can. You know? <laughs> nice. So, uh, you know, walk us through that second deal. Was that as, you know, more distressed than the first one? Uh, was it in a, a better, worse area? Were you still you know, repositioning into like what uh, an A-class asset, so to speak? Like, tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, our, our strategy is to get luxury tenants in there. So we were doing, implementing the same thing, um, you know, trying to make sure we had that high paying tenant that uh, is going to take care of the property. Uh, so very similar this property was an illegal triplex. So um, what we end up doing here is converting the third floor illegal loft in, or illegal apartment into a luxury loft. So the second level was a three bedroom, one bath. We now converted the unit to a high end four bedroom, two bath with this open concept luxury loft that uh, we're actually in the process of acquiring new tenants for right now. Nice. That's well, that's money, right? I mean, the, the loft is a, a yes. trendy, you know, design mm-hmm. these days. Absolutely. Did the barn doors and everything. So it's cool. Very nice. Trendy. <laughs> nice. So how about the the numbers on that deal? And you know, how, how much you got into it for what the renovation costs, refi, all that stuff? Absolutely. So uh, we ended up purchasing it for 525. Property still needed work. Uh, you know, when we got in there, 
Uh, this was the first property we acquired tenants on. So that was new to us. Uh, our previous property was vacant. So uh, we did acquire tenants and they, they were definitely undervalued on the rent. So we, we asked them to leave. They, they, they left fine, no, no issues there. Uh, so, you know, upon when they left, uh, that was probably about two or three months into the deal. We had most of the upstairs renovated by that time and we were actually living up there. So now property number one was fully rented which was bringing in a couple thousand a month, which was essentially supplementing the mortgage on this new property or the renovation costs, I should say at that point, because, you know, private money. Yeah. So we were renovating. Once they moved out, we then renovated their unit, the lower unit. And uh, I always like to talk about this one because they were paying about $1,600 a rent. Zillow estimated it for $1,900. Uh, I estimate it for over 2,400 and that's what we currently have it rented for. So <laughs> definitely, um, I always like to throw that out there. Don't, don't trust you, those estimates. They, <laughs> they can fib. They don't find that hidden value, but um, you know, we were able to get in there, convert. It's just crazy. It was a, the kitchen was a smaller kitchen, but it had this massive, I mean, massive walk-in pantry, like the biggest thing you've ever seen with a window. Wow. So we're like, what's going on here? <laughs> we had to make it into a half bath. So, you know, that drove up the rent out of the bedroom. So reconfigured things a little bit, but all in all, you know, we, we got up to a very nice marker where uh, it's producing nicely. Nice. So it, it sounds like in these, um, I don't recall from the first one, but from the second one, it sounds like you, you fixed up the, the upstairs, changed that attic out, got that all good. <clears throat> Excuse me. Continue, continue to live in that. And then fixed up the the other unit, and then got it tenanted out. Did not move into the other unit. Whereas maybe you couldn't do this because of the size of your family. But I would be tempted to move into the non fixed up one as long as it's good enough, and then get the first one rented out and get that money coming in. Is is that what you did on the first one? I, I don't recall. And, yeah. and what are your thoughts about that? Absolutely, you, you nailed it on the head there. Uh, you know, that's what we did do on the first one. Our goal was uh, we wanted to get the nicest unit ready to go as soon as possible. So we did that, and that was the unit two, uh, the upstairs unit. Uh, so we got that rented uh, on property number one, and then that allowed us time to renovate the unit that we were living in, which was. I mean, it was dated. It was livable, but it was very dated. I mean, some of the pictures I have, check them out on Instagram. They're just like, oh man, I, I can't believe anyone was living this place. You know, I mean, people were a year prior to us, but um, yeah, I mean, it was livable. So we updated all that, renovated it while we were in there. And then once we moved out, it was a full, you know, luxury unit. Same thing once we moved over. With this one on property number two is a little bit different because we actually... We brought my brother along for the journey. So uh, my brother-in-law. So he was actually living in the luxury loft. So he, uh. he got the nice end of it. Um, <laughs> but we, cut, we had a deal with him where, you know, he would babysit and help us out. We let him, you know, didn't charge him any rent. He was yeah, 20 at the time. So, you know, it was a pretty good deal for him. And uh, it helped us out tremendously where we were able to get this thing knocked out, you know, very fast. Uh, you know, we were at property number one for three years. Property number two, we were there for a year only because it took us four months to close on uh, the property we're in now. So hmm. definitely okay. a fun experience. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think the um, 
you know, I, I, I think about if I was doing this deal, right. Um, or, or any deal like this, you get into the first, the first property, you know, fix it up while you're, you're living in one of the units say, and, and then the conversation comes with, you know, your, your spouse, your significant other. Okay. It's time for us to move into the crappy one and rent this one out. You know, as, as, as much as I love my girlfriend, I don't think I'd be able to convince her to move from the nice one into the crappy one. I don't know, but that would be a tough sell. I think it, it is. Um, but I mean, for us, we were, we never were really living in the nice one. Like we didn't move unit to unit per se. Mm. Like we, we moved into the crappy one and I made the one that was going to be nice, like a construction site. So it wasn't like we were, we were actually living in that very nice one yet. And we knew we couldn't freaking afford this mortgage. You know, property <laughs> oh, that's fair. <laughs> so it's like, Okay, we can move up there, but uh, you're gonna pick up another job. So <laughs> you tell me what you want to do, and you know my wife was on board from day one. She 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 had no uh, argument against that. So yeah, it, for us it was just like yeah, we we don't want to uh, pay for this out of our own pocket anymore. Get the tenants in there, and it, it, that was a good enough sell. Nice. So uh, what the, you mentioned the property you're in now uh, that came after the second duplex. Um, what was, well, what's the deal there? Is that a live-in fix and flip? What's your, your strategy on this one? Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, this is a property that it's a single family. So, uh, there's just tremendous value add here where, um, it was a property that was sitting for a while. There's nothing major wrong with it, but, uh, it's a nice, nice school district. Great for the kids. Uh, wonderful. It's a town that we've always kind of wanted to be in very close to my parents. So we have the babysitter factor again, and we're just a lot of tremendous value. Right? So we're planning this out right now where we're doing renovations, we're updating things, you know, on, uh, the first month we came in, got the kitchen, reconfigured, opened up some walls, put some new flooring in. Now we're actually in the process of renovating some of the bathrooms, uh, getting all that the tip top shape. And then the next couple of months uh, around December, we'll have it for two years. So, um, you know, from there we'll assess it where do we want to sell it? Possibly. I don't know though. We'll, we'll see. We'll have, a, we'll have equity in there. So it'll be fun to see where we're at and what we actually end up doing with it. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Love it. Great strategy right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, no John, problem. I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Okay. Well, I definitely deal number one. It, I mean, it was amazing learning experience, just the knowledge that we got around it. And then the investment itself in terms of the cash flow, uh, the low vacancies, uh, everything about it, it really just panned out so nicely for us. It was a time where, uh, you know, we're still about six years ago now. So Things have appreciated nicely. Rents have gone up nicely. Um, but yeah, deal number one, absolutely love it. And it was a great learning experience. Awesome. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? <laughs> great question. That one, and this one's actually a little more difficult because um, I guess if we're going to stay in the real estate realm, I'm going to say our very, very first property, which was before the duplex, it was a single family. They didn't really talk much about it, but yeah, we moved in wanting to invest, thinking like we're going to be investors, but the numbers just made no sense. We are absolute newbies, but uh, you know, we uh, persevered. We knew we wanted to do this, so we ended up selling the place, made a little bit of liquid cash, but we didn't make money, but we walked away with some liquid cash. 
But all in all, it was an amazing learning experience to kind of get us prepped for the next deal. But yeah, on paper, oh my goodness, I would have been very, 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 very bad spot if we kept that. <laughs> would not be where we are today. So nice. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Oh my God. Oh my goodness. And this is more of a recent one, um, you know, from my coaches that he, uh, he always says commitment and consistency and always looking back at it. I've had it. We, we were very committed. Me and my wife, we're very consistent. It's just the more so now that he puts into perspective that, yeah, you got to be committed, committed and consistent. And like I said, you know, we were looking back at all that, you know, we were doing this every day. We were going on forums. We were networking with people. We just, we were never going to take no for an answer, you know, for ourselves before we bought our first duplex, I literally went into a hundred multifamilies, over a hundred multifamilies, just at tagging along with other realtors, with other um, investors. I would just go see them myself because I was a licensed agent. Um, so I could just go in and see these things. And I mean, we dedicated ourselves to this. So, um, definitely that commitment side of things and then literally getting up every day and doing it, whether it was 15 minutes or, you know, two hours to eight hours, whatever it was, you know, at our time in our life, we were just doing it consistently. So I think those are the two uh, major words, I guess, uh, that really can apply to anything in life. Nice. Nice. I love it. Sean, thank you for joining us today. Uh, like I said, we haven't discussed house hacking on the show before, at least to my recollection. And uh, I think it's a very powerful strategy that is accessible to a lot of folks, particularly with the uh, fairly low percent down financing that's out there available for owner-occupied multifamilies. The tough part is really these days finding the deals. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, they want to find you on the internet or what have you, where can they track you down? Absolutely. Uh, Instagram's great. That's uh, Sean Sells N-J-R-E. And that's S-H-A-W-N. So Sean Sells N-J-R-E. And then uh, I'm on Bigger Pockets as Sean McIntyre. Facebook, if you really want that, but that's more of my friends. I don't know. But yeah, I'd say uh, Bigger Pockets and uh, Instagram is definitely the best place to find me. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a second, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That's very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. That helps us grow and rank higher in the algorithm and all that great stuff. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.